song, Do It Again. And you might not be aware of the fact that 18 years ago, we started this church and my very first sermon series was titled, Do It Again. And we were in the book of Acts and I remember just sitting there in my time with the Lord and I would have the book of Acts open and I would just be praying, God, would you please, would you please do it again? 2000 years ago, you did it. Would you do it again? And God did it. But little did we know that we would be sitting here in 2020 in the midst of a global pandemic. And it is a great time for us as a church to start asking God, do it again. Create revival, God. Bring us back to you. Do what you did back then. Would you do it again? And I'm just wondering if wherever you are today, if you're at a watch party at a campus, or maybe you're at home, or maybe you're at the lake or the beach or the mountains or wherever, would you just add that to your prayer request list? As you spend time with God, would you start praying that God would do it again? Hey, my name is Benji. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope Church. I'm so glad you are with us today. I believe God has a word for you. Keith Barreto is the campus pastor at our Wake Forest location. He's been on this stage before and he's gonna come again today and bring a word for you. So grab your Bible, grab your journal, something to write with or your phone or a computer or whatever the case may be. And let's lean in today and ask God to speak to us. Hey, let me pray for you and let me pray for Keith as he brings the word. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you have the power to do it again. God, we are here because we love you. We are here because we want to worship you. We are here because we want to hear not from some man, but we want to hear from you, the living God. Speak to us through your word. Speak to and through Pastor Keith as he brings your word. Speak, Father God. For your church is listening. We love you. We honor you. We praise you today in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let the people of God say amen. Come on, church, wherever you are. Maybe you want to type in clap or if you're in a campus, celebrate and welcome Keith to the stage as he brings the word today. God bless you. Come on, what's up, New Hope? Come on, can we celebrate Jesus? Come on, let's celebrate Jesus. Amen. What's up, everybody? What's up? You may be seated across all of our campuses. Man, what an awesome time to be alive, is it not? Man, it feels good to be in church. Is anybody glad to be in the house today? Come on, help me welcome all of our campuses, all those who are watching at our watch parties, who are there at our physical locations. We are so glad that you guys have taken time to tune in with us this morning. Come on, can we welcome then everybody? Hey, let me give a special shout out to my Wake Forest campus. What's up, Wake Forest? I am so glad to be that campus pastor at that place. That is an awesome group of world changers, and we're so excited. You guys are in good hands with Pastor Derek this morning. Hey, do me one favor if you would. I would just like to take a moment and celebrate 20 years of marriage to my wife. Can you help me celebrate 20? Amen. Three kids later, 
20 years of marriage and still honeymooning, praise God. Hey, um, before we jump into today's message, uh, I just want to encourage you guys something that I have really, really missed, and that is our night of worship. And we are about to have a night of worship this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock p.m., August the 19th, right here. Is anybody excited about coming together and worshiping the Lord? It is going to be awesome. Hey, um, did anybody come ready for the word today? I am excited to speak to you guys today. I want to um, tell you a little story. So Katie and I celebrated 20 years of marriage, and uh, at 11 years, we had just finished six years of action-packed student ministry. And so uh, we thought it was time for us to make a change. And so we thought, you know what, why don't we move down to Destin, Florida? because that's where my student pastor lived. He had started a church and he was about to launch a second campus. And so we packed up all of the family out of Rochester, New York, and we moved down to Destin, Florida. And I thought this would be a perfect opportunity for us to serve with my student pastor. I was on the teaching team and I got to work on the beach. Now, if you know anything about Destin, <laughs> it is one of the prettiest beaches in all of the world. Top 10 beaches in all of the world with the white sugar sand and all that. But if you know anything else about working on the beach and beach service, it is not the most lucrative profession in all the world, right? So money was tight. I mean, tight. And by uh, somehow, we were able to move into this incredibly large house, biggest house I'd ever lived in, in this incredibly nice neighborhood. And we were living in there for about half the cost of the rent of what the landlord could have charged us, but it was still expensive. And so on the outside looking in, we were blessed and highly favored, right? But on the inside looking out, we were broke as a joke. <laughs> and so money was really, really tight. And I didn't realize how much it impacted my kids until I was bringing my son Caleb home from Little League practice one night, and he was about seven years old. And so as we're pulling into our neighborhood, he's looking at all of the vehicles, you know, his buddy's mom's H3 Hummer, and then looking across the street from that, and he's seeing the Porsche Carrera, and, and we're driving through our neighborhood to get to our house that we could barely afford, and I remember he looked out of the window of my 1999 Chevy Malibu with the air condition broken and the floorboards practically rusted out. And he was like, man, daddy. He said, we have the rustiest car in the whole neighborhood. And I was just like, man, it just, it just hit me so hard. And I just felt like in that moment, I needed to let him know that God's got this. Right, somehow I needed to communicate that confidence to him. And so I said, all right, well, listen to this, Bubba. Remember these days, I told him. I said, because it's not going to be like this forever. I said, I don't know how God's going to do it, but all I know is somehow God is going to bless us. The title of the message today is called God is for us. Look at somebody and say, God is for us. Come on, across all of our campuses, look at somebody and say, God is for us. Online, type it in the chat, all caps, exclamation point, God is for us. And I think during this time of COVID-19, we need to keep that burning bright in our hearts. So let me ask you a question. What do you do when life surrounds you with overwhelming circumstances that you feel powerless against? 
Or what do you do when, when you're bombarded with stress and responsibilities and demands and deadlines that have overwhelmed you or that are keeping you up at night or you just can't see your way out of or can't see your way through? What do you do when you, have, when you have prayed the prayers and you have applied the sermon points and it just doesn't seem to be working, nothing seems to give, nothing seems to break? What do you do when you have depleted the resources and you have used the reserve? Let me just get right down to it. What do you do when you spent up all the money and you're broke? <laughs> What do you do when it seems like stresses of life have surrounded you? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> we're going to look at the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 6 today. And we're going to take a look at two men in the Bible who found themselves in a similar situation. Two men that experienced the same thing but saw things completely differently. So before we jump into the scripture, I want to give you a little bit of background. So the king of Aram and the king of Israel are at war in our text. The only difference is the king of Israel had an advantage. He had a prophet on his side by the name of Elisha. Now, Elisha would hear from God, and then he would tell the king of Israel all of the king of Aram's plans for war. And so the king of Aram is starting to take notice of this, and he's like, how is it that every time I try to move against the king of Israel, it always seems like he's one step ahead of me? He's like, there must be a spy in my ranks. He's like, there's no way he could possibly know everything I'm doing ahead of time. Somebody's got to be snitching. Kind of like a football coach who's in the opposing stands trying to film the other team to catch you know, Belichick. <coughs> Belichick. <coughs> Excuse me, can I get some water? I'm just kidding. Right, so, so the king of Aram figures out that he doesn't have a spy, but it's actually this prophet by the name of Elisha who is telling the king of Israel all of Aram's business. And so he's like, uh, I know what I need to do. I need to bring that man right here so that he can answer for what he's done. And so he hears that Elisha has gone down to a city called Dothan. And so what he does is he disperses all of his soldiers, his army, his horses, his chariots, and he surrounds the entire city of Dothan. And so we're going to pick it up right here, 2 Kings chapter number 6 in verse 15. Are you ready for the word today? All right. It says this, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Look at this response. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And I think for many of us during like this season of life, this is a question that we've been asking, isn't it? What shall we do? I don't know how many of you guys have kids. Anybody have kids across our campuses or watching online or in here right now that are of school age? Like this is a huge question that we're asking right now. We just found out that our kids were gonna be virtual for like nine, nine weeks and then they're gonna reevaluate it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, nine weeks, what shall we do? Like, especially for us, because, you know, I mean, we've already been five months locked down with them, and I've got three teenagers. They're awesome, but we still have three teenagers, right? 
Well, the Spectrum company or whatever company it is, let me not call it Spectrum, whatever our internet company is, came out, dug up our lines all around our neighborhood to improve the internet. Well, after they filled it back, it just seems like it is just two steps worse than what it was. So now if you want a good, strong connection, you have to plug an Ethernet connector into the router that's about 100 foot long. And if you want any privacy, you've got to run it all the way to the other side of the house, up the stairs. And so when you come down the steps, you've got to step over these wires. And I'm thinking, I've got three teenagers. What are we going to like put these spiderweb wires all around the house? I almost fell down the staircase the other day trying to step over the wire. Like, what shall we do? <laughs> What are we going to do if they don't have a good, strong connection and they can't hear their teacher and they are unable to keep up with the rest of the class? What shall we do? So look at Elisha's response. I, you know what? I think I can tell you something that I definitely know that is of certainty. I told my kids this the other day. I said, if you don't have to go to school, that means we don't have to buy school clothes. <laughs> They're like, what? I was like, no way. We don't have to buy any school clothes. That is date night money for me and your mama. I'm, oh, my kids are like, oh my God. I'm just excited about that part right there. But for the rest of it, what shall we do? So check out Elisha's response in verse 16. Let's read this. Watch this. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That is a powerful passage of scripture right there. Whenever I read the scriptures, I, it might be the preacher in me, but I always try to put myself in the Bible. Like I always try to put myself in the text and I try to get down into the pages and visualize myself in the text. Like what, what did they see? Like what did they sense? I tried to picture my feet in the dirt where Elisha stood and looking out to the mountains surrounded by soldiers all around. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading in that moment, as a leader, as a father, as a parent, as a husband, knowing I have others looking to me for direction, how do I respond in a situation like this? Like in the same way Elisha had one of his servants watching him, how would he respond in times of crisis? So I uh, had the opportunity to attend a, a Christian conference. It was, it was online, but in that conference, there was a well-known leader that was being interviewed about how leaders handle crisis. And he said something to me that totally stuck with me. He said, in times of crisis, the leader has to project calm to those around them. In times of crisis, a leader has to project calm to those around them. And I think we could probably substitute the word leader for just about any title in this room or across our campuses or for those of you who are watching online. I think we could substitute that word leader for parents. In times of crisis, a parent needs to project calm to those around them. In times of crisis, a single parent needs to project calm to those around them. 
In times of crisis, a teacher, a business leader, a business owner, a pastor needs to project calm to those around them. Sometimes you're scared to death, right? Because life has you in a place of uncertainty, but you know that there are others watching you. And because you know that it might be your children watching you or those who look to your leadership, sometimes you've just got a man up or a woman up and put a smile on your face and trust God, even when you can't trace him. I call it the stewardess principle. Anybody in here like to fly? Across our campuses, anybody like to fly? I'm Spanish. Spanish people don't like to fly. I'm just be straight up. My grandmother would take the train from New York to Miami before she would get on a plane. She would take the bus from New York to Miami if she had to, right? She just did not want to get in the air. And so I call it the stewardess principle, right? As long as the stewardess is cool, I'm cool. Like if we hit turbulence and I look to the stewardess and she displays confidence, I'm confident, right? If I look to her and she looks concerned, I'm concerned. <laughs> I remember one time we took a flight, I took a flight from Florida to Rochester, New York in the middle of a snowstorm. I don't even know why I was on that plane in the first place. And I remember we hit turbulence that hit so hard that everybody in the plane went, oh, have you ever been on one of those kinds of flights? I mean, you're flying into New York in a snowstorm where like we thought a wing was going to touch the ground on the way in. And so we hit that kind of turbulence. I looked to the stewardess, right, to see how she's feeling it. When I looked over, she looked like she had seen a ghost. And I'm like, I'm looking down I'm like, man, uh-oh, here we go. And so she starts speed walking to that little chair in the front that faces us and she's strapped in with a quickness and she grabs the microphone, right? And I'm waiting to hear, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is your pilot speaking. We're experiencing a pocket of uh, turbulence right now, but uh, no need to be alarmed. The captain has uh, fastened your seatbelt sign for safety and uh, please remain seated. Uh, once again, thank you so much for flying with us through a, a snowstorm in the middle of the winter with your crazy and adventurous self, right? Just, just something to project calm, right? But instead, this woman jumps into the seat, grabs the microphone and says, ladies and gentlemen, buckle up for safety and hangs up the microphone and puts her forehead right to her knees and stayed there. I'm like, man. So I was praying for us and for the stewardess and, and I'm like, oh Lord, I'm, now I'm praying for her. Lord, help this woman in the name of Jesus. Hold this plane in the palm of your hand. Lord, John 10 says, nothing shall be able to pluck us out of your hand. Like I'm praying for her. And, and, but now if I'm with one of my children and we hit turbulence like that, I don't care how afraid I am. I need to project calm. I need to man up. I need to trust God and put a smile on my face because I know that God is for us. I've only got two points for you today. Number one, when life circumstances overwhelm you, put your trust in the ability of God. Let's read uh, verse 17 together. Are you guys ready? Let's read it. And Elisha prayed. He did what? He prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. 
Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So let me see if I can uh, set the scene for you guys. So right here, I have a, uh, a little display. Now, when my children were little, I always tried to think of creative ways that I can communicate the Bible to them, especially when they were really small. And so each Sunday night, we have these family devotions together. We come together, we huddle up, and we have a Devo. And so now before we actually had those uh, New Hope at Home student kits and those Hope Town at Home student kits that we now have, hint, hint, wink, wink, check out our website, because there is one month's worth of curriculum in those boxes for you to be able to have a devotion with your family and parents. There's something in there for you as well. So you guys want to check that out. Check out our websites. Anyway, I uh, just want to give you that plug. But before the Hopetown kits and before the student kits, we had to be more creative. And so I remember it was time to communicate this passage of scripture. And so I thought, Lord, what can I do? So I took their action figures, their toys, and I said, there's Batman right here. He's taking a knee in prayer. And Here's little Batman right here, right? And I said, this represents Elisha and his servants. Now, the scripture says that the servant came out, and when he did, they were surrounded by the king of Aram and all of his soldiers. I said, and so this is what they saw. When the, when the servant came out, he was like, oh my goodness, what shall we do? But the Bible says in verse 17 that Elisha prayed, open up his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened up his eyes to see that those who were for them were more than those who were against them. And so then I took some huge action figures and I surrounded Elisha and his servant and all of the soldiers. And I said, now these represent the angels of God right here. I said, Elisha's servant couldn't see it. But as soon as Elisha prayed for him, his eyes were opened and he was able to see God's angels of fire that kept them safe and protected them. And so I said, in the same way that God was with them, it's the same way that God is with us. Listen, God is for us. I remember one of my kids said, yeah, daddy, to protect them, right? I said, that's exactly right. Listen, when everything in our culture right now seems to be negative and we are surrounded on all sides, we're surrounded by negativity on social media, we're surrounded by negativity in the news, we're surrounded by fear and negative thoughts and worry and uncertainty and anxiety that can literally surround us in the same way that Elisha and his servant were surrounded but if you know your Bible, you know that Romans 8.31 says that if God be for you, then he is more than those who are against you. If you know your Bible, you know that nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, somebody, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from God because God is for us. Because number two, when life circumstances overwhelm you, open your eyes. This is what I have in my notes. This is so important to grasp a hold of. 
We have spent a significant amount of energy focusing on the invisible enemy of coronavirus. Instead, it's time for us to focus on the unseen ally of the Holy Spirit. And Elisha prayed, verse 17 says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would open up our eyes to see that God is for us in the midst of the struggle, that God is for us in the midst of the challenge, that God is for us in the midst of uncertainty. Listen, anybody who is here now, or if you're at one of our campuses, or if you are watching online, I need you to know that God is is for you, that God is for us and not against us. And if God be for you, he's more than the world against you. Let me leave you with this. Elisha was confident because he knew where his strength came from. He knew where his hope came from. So driving along that day in Destin, Florida, <laughs> when I opened up with that story about my old rusty car, when my son pointed that out, mark that day. It wasn't 12 months later that God had blessed us with a great job. He blessed us with a great church, with great people in a new place and with a much better car too. <laughs> How often are we going throughout life with our eyes blinded and God is inviting us to open up our eyes so that we might see his goodness. Listen, church, God's goodness surrounds us every single day, 24-7, 365. We just need to pray that God would open our eyes to see that if he is for us, then he's more than the world against us. Hey, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us today, Lord. Father, we thank you that you are for us and not against us, Lord. We thank you for sending your son to die upon the cross for our sins and being resurrected from the dead to prove that point to us, Lord. Your word says in John 3:16 that you so loved the world, you gave your only son for us, that whoever would believe in you would have eternal life. Father, I pray that we would know the love of Christ today, Lord, that we would know the strength that we have in you. Father, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our understanding, Lord, that we might be able to see the things that you want us to see, Lord. We give you thanks today, Father. We thank you that you are for us. We thank you for your hand upon our lives. And most importantly, we thank you for your love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen and amen.